Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales and a new series looking at modern-day livestock operations. Over the last few decades, things have been rapidly evolving in the livestock sector, but last year has skewed these forward at a pace that couldn't have been imagined. This week we speak to a man with such a vision that he's constantly reinventing himself and his business as he explores new avenues within the industry. James Alexander from Randallstown in Northern Ireland. James, welcome to the podcast. No bother, Andy. Glad to be here. James, your family has been farming in Randallstown for three generations, is that right? Yes, that's the third generation on this farm in Randallstown, but my great-granda and my great-great-granda were farming that I know of, and then whoever before that as well, but we're at least fifth generation farmers, but a third generation here. The original farm, my granda came from the glens of Antrim, up Carnlock and Glenarm, so he came from the hills to come to the lowland many, many years ago. And it was your father, Nelson, who started the tractor business there in the mid-70s, and that's grown into a massive operation now, and your your main dealers, is that right? No, he has offered a few dealerships back and forth, but he didn't take any on. He likes the independence of it to go and buy what he wants and when he wants, and nobody trying to keep tabs off you. And we're good friends with a few of the tractor dealers, and whenever you hear what some of the dealerships put the owner through and having to keep a certain amount of parts and having to do the yard a certain way, now sometimes we're glad not to have any ties with anybody, just do your own thing. Okay. And the tractor business obviously brought the money in, and uh, your father bought a few more local farms around and about, and some land, and how big is the farms there now, uh, James? We're farming about a 1,000 acres at the moment, uh, likely 800 all of that owned, and then some corn acres as well. But it's, it's an Irish farm, so it's spread out over like five miles one way, and eight miles one way, and three miles another way. It's, it's all scattered, but that's just the way, it's hard to get land all beside each other, and that's just the way... A lot of farms over this way are. And be some fairly good uh, livestock land now, James? Aye, good livestock land, wet, heavy, heavy ground. We've not with nowhere to winter cattle, but very few big dry runs for sheep. That would be heavy, you know, to be, there, there's very few cattle out in the field yet, and it's the end of April, nearly beginning of May, and cattle will be in the end of September, definitely October. You definitely have a lot more rain than the rest of us, and at the moment, I hope you you guys have got some because everybody else here is screaming for it. It's been very dry over in the mainland. Yeah, it was really wet, and then it came good. But now we have we, a we have a wet farm. Like then it goes from friggin' soaking wet until dry overnight. It never <laughs> does come dry. We never stop complaining as farmers, that's for sure. And you joined from college in 1997, and basically with your father running the tractor side of it, you took over the running of the farm, was that to just suck like cows back then, was it James? Yeah, I went from college and we had a lot of beds and blue, beds, beds and blue cows and beds and blue bulls, but there would have been dairy bed, beds and blues, so there were a lot of mostly cattle about the place, all my father's under the muscle, there always was, but there would be not a lot of colour, be a lot of white cattle and blue cattle and quite a bit of hardness and I just, there was a good base of cows there, but they were just, uh, Freeze and bread, dairy, blue crosses at that time, back to the blue bulls and back to the, we only had one London bull, I think with 11 or 12 blue bulls. So there's a lot of muscle, but not the far, far from show cattle. You took it your remit to improve those sucklers uh, using a limousine bull, and what other bulls did you put onto that herd at the time just to, to, to get them better? I, I went to Carlisle for the first time on my own to buy a bull in 04, and I bought three limousine bulls. A twelve rose bull and a full French bull, a bull called the Volley, 
and he really clicked for us. And when I, I bought a couple of summers of bulls as well then, because I was aware that I wanted to try and breed my own females and like that some for blue cows. So I bought a couple of summers of bulls, but I bought three or four limousines and that Tivoli bull, that French bull, really, really, really done a job. Uh -huh. He just he had, he had heavy bone, he had big plates, but he, in hindsight, he must have cried the cuging. And then whenever we had them blue cows, the, the calves just clicked, really, really clicked. They, they kind of set the bases then for what it was going to show. I wasn't trying to be show calves, I just seen a big square bull and uh, the bull worked and then I kind of got me the basis and I kind of got me the interest into the, into the show thing. And you and you certainly did, you started producing show calves for yourself and uh, very soon you were winning a local show and then next you were winning everything including uh, alums, I think you won how many times there? The, fir the first time, well, my father never showed any cow, no wonders in show cow, but no halters. He laughed at me buying a blow dryer. He couldn't understand why somebody was buying a hair dryer for cattle. Like my father, no, no showing at all. My granddad had no showing. He's more of a sheep man than a cattle man. So I had to learn it all kind of from scratch. And he asked lots of questions and listened to lots of answers and tried to see he was doing well and befriended anybody he I respected and kind of learned what along. But as 06, before I showed my first animal, a white blonde heifer that was reserve blonde champion and reserve housewife choice in Alms. The first year I showed, 07, before I got my first reserve championship and RMI show, and then with another heifer, I won Castle Wayne show in 07, and then I started gaining a bit of momentum then, like three or four years after that. Like myself and a lot more of us listen to this podcast, it's a drug once you get into it, you just want to win and win, and uh, and yeah, you did, you went on and you became the man to beat. I kind of had two or three good years, you know, just the first year or two you're trying to show and you're trying to dress and you're trying to clip and, you know, you, you make a lot of mistakes and your people trying to help you to start and then as you start to improve, the help dies down and there's nearly people steering you the wrong way rather than the right way. <laughs> So you kind of you you kind of see that I seen a lot after my third or fourth year show and I seen who was good and who was bad. That's called politics, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was shown for a social reason. I had no no football, no rugby. I had no hobby, and this was my hobby. And I met yeah. some great people, and I met some bloody awful people too. But there's more good ones than bad bad ones. <laughs> That obviously took you forward, and uh, you you had a stroke of genius when you merged the names James Alexander into Jalex, and you came up with a brand. And we all tried to be smart as youngsters, but you pitched a recognisable brand that would become an umbrella of your business. I I, I didn't really I didn't sell it or didn't something plan something. I just I sort of picked a herd prefix, and then rather than just use it for a limousines, I use it for having a handful of Charlies and a couple of Anguses and the Blues, and then the commercial thing was with my heart lay, and then. I just kept pushing it, and then I changed it from the JLX herd, the JLX livestock, to incorporate the sheep as well. And I just kind of, I, I, I'm quite pleased with how the JLX brand was going. The logos have changed a few times, but it just keeps it all together. It just makes you, if you're chatting with somebody in the ring and say, "James Alexander here from JLX," you know, they kind of, hopefully, it goes before you. You know, just breaks the ice a bit. It certainly has, and it's fast becoming a household word in the livestock industry in both the UK and Ireland. Your cattle would go on and be in demand from uh, showmen in Scotland and England and, and other guys wanting to buy show cars from you at that time. And uh, um, and I know we bang on about the great shows, Smithfield, uh, um, where some of these cattle would be destined. Were you ever at Smithfield yourself, James? No, 
Smithfield was just before my time. Uh-huh. I was interested in that. My father wanted it one year. He's in London. Wanted it one year. And of course, I've listened to all you guys, you and Hugh and Lope and Lazar Vance and Don McFierce. I've listened to it all for fucking ten years now. Tell me how great it was. And I just, I just can't. Not really something telling me, but I just can't get my head around going to London for was like seven or ten days. They're going for sometimes, you know. Just how could you leave, leave everything and just go and drink and talk shit for? days it just seems like a dream come true <laughs> when we look back we all wonder how the hell we did it and how we managed to get back home and have businesses and families to get back to but you did have a lot of success uh, with your cattle and you were winning shows all around about the place the cattle job was good to you for the next 10 years or so aye i kind of set myself goals as i do the whole time i keep setting myself goals you know and i wanted to win there were a few weeks shows at home that meant a lot to me. That there was a fit in the Charlotte show that I always watched people win. I always wanted to try and win it, and, and you know I won our match show. Twenty thirteen was a, a kind of a pinnacle. I bought a, a lovely bull called Swarland and Daddy at ten thousand in Carlisle. I had the the Foley daughters out of the first bull, and he was a big square bull, and then they went back to the blue. So then I had the daughters from the first bull back to Eddie, and it was just plates on top of plates. And they just were tremendous cattle. And, uh, the first heifer won multiple shows with was a heifer called OBGs, and she was a red daughter out of Tavoli. And then I built her to Eri, and then I got this bullet called uh, Steady Eri, and he won the moral show. And, that was before, and Hugh and Lop was judging it. And for Hugh and Lop to be judging it, he was watching with great admiration showing. And then for him to be judging and put me champion at the moral in the middle of the lawn, it just it was a fantastic feeling. And then that year we won every single show we showed in right through. There's think there was nine or ten summer shows, and then the two local shows was Balmina and then Alums. And I won the clean sweep the whole entire year. Mm-hmm. And then that was kind of it done. Then again, kind of, that was what I set myself and slightly more. And then that took the heat off a wee bit because at this stage my family starting to get big and. I was starting to miss time with the family. My girls were getting bigger, and I was just I was keeping four or five hundred cows, and it was just I was kind of pushed for time. And then I thought to myself, no, I don't want to stop until I won Smithfield or won some of the bigger shows. And then of course, Gareth Small bought a heifer off me in January '14, and that went on to do Reserve at Balmoral and Beef Expo, our lightweight champion thing I got, and then it won Agri Expo. Mm-hmm. Reserve at the Winter Fair, and then at one Smithfield in 2014. Great beast. And then that was that was it. That was kind of right. Okay, I've done all I can possibly do for a while. It's going to take my foot off the throttle a wee bit. Sure. And that's what I sold the cows. Uh-huh. Sure. And then you did that in in 2014. You went for a, a massive change and sold pretty much the entire herd of of your cows. I I, I did. People didn't believe in the time, but I sold the entire herd. Every good cow, every bad cow. Everything went. And people weren't believing me. There's people didn't go to that sale because they didn't think I was selling my cows. I sold every cow I had. <laughs> Not all in one day because I sold my spring calvers in one day. But at my autumn calvers, I just sold away from home and all the year drops here and there. But I sold the majority of the spring calvers all in one day. And that was, that was the beginning of the end. That really was a ballsy move. Uh, but as you say, you'd won all that uh, you wanted to win. And you'd obviously seen the demand for these decent crossbred calves for the show circuit and worked out that there was a, a, a equal demand for a replacement heifers in calf heifers that could go on and breed decent calves 
Where did that idea come from? I mean, that's a futuristic thing. Even the time my father had the cows before I was about, we just pulled all our heifers, more or less every heifer in the place, unless it was really, really bluish, really mostly we pulled everything. So we would have sold 100 or 150 cows and calves every August. First or second week in August, he would have just went through the fields, picked out whatever outfits, bulls, heifers, any age of cows, whatever was looking well, and sold them. Mm. So we had a precedent for people coming to us for breeding stock. And then whenever I started keeping the limousine cows and limousine bulls, we were selling our excess heifers every year. So we're always maybe keeping 50 or 60. So we're sold the rest of them. I mainly bought them in maybe 100 every sale and maybe twice a year. And then whenever I sold the cows, the people kept coming to me for the heifers. Yeah. So then I, I, went, I started buying heifers similar to the ones I was selling. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew and maybe at 400 and then at 500. Well, up until last Saturday, at 1,090 heifers in the herd. Right. And then we sold 200 last Saturday, yeah, 210 we'll go, or maybe. We'll go on to that sale in a minute. But you, those some of those heifers that you would have bought those from maybe at the fat stock shows in the winter or, or the ones that were, were winning prizes uh, elsewhere, would you be buying the thick ones? Yeah, we're buying it. I don't know, sometimes uh, my father in particular was scared of buying them fed, fed heifer, them show heifers, and sometimes it's a dear way to buy them because you're competing against other top farmers to try and buy them, you know, it's, but we, there was a certain element of them coming in, yeah, if they were big and square and a bit of bone, I was happy to bring them what the show scene as long as they weren't overdone. Sure, and, and of course you'd be looking then to supply cows that would go on to breed show calves, and, and uh, that's where the gold is, isn't it, James? That's the, the serious money. Is if you can breed the show calves, you know, there, there's more money, Aye. there's more more trade in that than there is in the pedigree job. But the last four or five years in particular, it's really taken off. I caught the very end of it just as I was starting to, you know, at the time I was at it, I was trying to win, but then at the same time, I was trying to sell them too because. I was buying good bulls and I was sort of keeping better heifers and, you know, I needed to try to justify it. So I was, I was trying to keep them and sell them both. And if I could change it all now, I would because there's cattle that I sold that I should have kept. There's cattle that I kept that I should have sold. And, mm. you know, but I, I was selling the Don McPherson a few and Phil Sellers had a few and Craig Henry. There's a good few people who were buying a few cattle off me to go across your end with. And some of them done relatively well and some of them done really well and some could have done a bit better just on lucky in the day. But it's a hard lane between trying to keep them and show them and trying to sell them. But if they had me getting the trade then that they're getting now, they would have sold more of them. But if I had sold more of them, I wouldn't have won what I won. So it's kind of a cat 22, I suppose. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? They always say in, in breeding anything, you never sell your best females. But then when you're selling females at three and 4,000, as some of these animals were, and they can go on and win championships at, at Smithfield and these places, then... Uh, you put them into better hands, but now you have the grounding of what it takes to breed a show calf. Uh, you'd be AIing your sale heifers to a variety of bulls, wouldn't you, according to shape and size and style? We'll batch our heifers constantly, right? We're batching, we're weighing, batching, watching all the time our own heifers. And then our, our biggest batch, I suppose, for AIing on one day would be sort of the 5th of January with AI a lot of heifers to be calving the following October. And every year we'll pack out 30 or 40 heifers to put the different bulls to keep ourselves. And every year say, right, I'm going to keep them heifers and sell the, sell the rest and keep 40 heifers. Because I still have that interest in breeding that show calf and I still <laughs> feel as if I could do it. Yeah. Not easily, but I could, I could do it again if I wanted to. And I, I do want, I want to be out and about again, you know. 
<laughs> and then every year they're in a pen and they're looking well, and someone comes to buy heifer and they see them, and they just think, I assure you, you go and you buy two or three. But then once you sell two or three of them, the batch is kind of ruined, and then just, just sell away at them. So I've kind of resigned, to, resigned myself to the fact now that I'm just going to keep selling away at them. But every about every three months, I pick a heifer. I'm gonna keep that heifer. I'm gonna keep that heifer. <laughs> I never keep the heifer because then if you're telling the man they're selling their best heifers, you have to sell their best heifers. Uh, I can advertise a sale and say I'm selling 200 heifers or selling 50 heifers and the best three heifers put away. That's not. I don't lie well. I would ruin my reputation. I ruin my name as a seller if I was going to keep them. You can't keep them selling them both. Because the person wants to go to go to go to Carlisle and pick a bull and buy a bull. And then go home and keep thirty heifers and put the thirty heifers to the bull to bring that nice square, good top black heifer out again and try and win again, you know. But then there's so much ETN going on, there's so many people doing such a good job, you know. I really feel like even since twenty thirteen or fourteen, the bar has been raised. It certainly has, and, and uh, as I said, that makes you an honest man if you if you tell everybody that's the best ones you've got for sale and you haven't got one hidden around the corner. But uh, that's uh, yeah, the embryo transfer is becoming a thing with, with some of these show calves now making four, five, six thousand. They're, they're, they're above the money of bulls and you're selling them at you know, six or eight months old. Uh, it, it becomes a, a temptation, doesn't it, to, to do that? And there are a few specialist guys in that trade and your side of the water as well. Are you doing a bit of that yourself? I uh, I'm not. No. <laughs> it's the same thing again. You you talk about it, and then I sold the heifer there recently, and I really wanted to keep it. And then I thought before, before I sell it, I'll flush it. But then you're selling a man a heifer that's been flushed already, mm. and you've, you've got out of her. And again, it doesn't lie well to my to the reputation of being a seller. So I I flushed a few pedigrees. No. And and going back to your saying about the prices of them calves, they are a good price. They are. But I don't think people understand just what that producer goes through to get them. Sure. The caesareans and the big tongues and the ones with the bad knees and the ones that just don't want to get up. The ones with the big tongues, they can't get their teeth properly and then they get their teeth properly and then they cut the back of their tongue with their teeth, you know. I just And when I was at the peak of it and I was trying really hard and I was kind of very much focused on breeding that show calf. And we had a large number of cows, but it was their cows and the summons of cows was short, but all types of cows. And, you know, we had different batches of cows breeding some little calves for the herd. We, we, we didn't have 400 mostly good cows. We had a range of cows and then in through the herd with good cows. But like, the more you're at it, the more you care about it. And I'd be friendly with a lot of the farmers that are caring for cows and the cows out of a heifer or a bed, a show calf or a full sister. That's how that. And like, whenever they calve and you pull the calf and that calf sticks the hinges or that calf takes that to see me, it really, really hurts. It physically hurts them farmers. And I, and I think it hurts me, you know. But I think they deserve all they're getting because that's not all sunshine. It's a chance in game, isn't it? It's like everything else in livestock. If you go for the extremes, then uh, you take the casualties with it. And uh, as you said, you sold the herd and concentrated on uh, supplying breeding heifers. And do you keep any commercial cows at all now? At the minute, we're doing no breeding whatsoever. Uh, only, the only cows I have are a few limousines and a few blue pures, but... No, uh, everything we're doing, we're just constantly buying in and sourcing heifers and constantly selling heifers. We've we no, we've no herd base of commercial cows whatsoever anymore. You have a few pedigree limousines, as you said, which uh, you've shown a few, I think, and and done reasonably well with your your small herd of limousines. I have, yeah, I enjoy having them. I don't have the time to spend with them. I maybe should have, but I've built up a nice, a nice batch of cows that. 
I should try to enjoy more. <laughs> and you concentrate, obviously, on selling animals from home. And, and uh, we'll move on to your sales just now. But uh, generally, you, you, you'll have a, a base of people will come and buy cattle off the farm from you. Yes, mainly Saturdays. A lot of part-time farmers, Northern Ireland's small place, Ireland's small place, a lot of small farms. A lot of builders, plasters, you know, <laughs> working men come on the weekends buying two or three cows and they all keep a herd of 20, 30, 40, 50 cows and they're, they're buying their two or three patents back and forth and they'd call two cows and buy two heifers. I would keep the blue sort of monthly heifers in the field and the blue lesser heifers in the different batch and the red and white thumbs over the batch and then you'd ask the man what type he's after and then you would show him the batch corresponding to his need, you know, so. I think people know us for having that good heifer, but with slayers and summons holes and with short horns, there's heifers for everybody here. I think I think sometimes never you sell heifers and people talk about the big prices and the big prices are always a muslier, better sorts, and you kind of forget about the other selects of heifers that you have on the on the farm, you know. Okay, so you changed your system to a different mould, and as well as sales of cows from home, you started an on-farm sheep sale and things are moving on pretty well over four or five years and then bam covid hits us and uh it's time to reinvent again uh james this time moving to online trading a huge change yeah the i think the covid sped up something that should have happened years ago yep because whenever you buy our tractors and we buy our four befores and all it's all online you can go to the auction surely but it's all online so like most of us left out of water are buying everything online because it's too expensive to spend a day travelling to Manchester or London, wherever you're going to. And like that always should have been happening in the cattle markets, but it wasn't happening. Hmm. We should have the dealers well, but the, the COVID had just sped up a process that was going to happen in due course. And I suppose I just, I, I, I was waiting for it to happen. Whenever it did happen, I jumped at it the first chance I got to try and get it utilised from my own business for the sheep, first of all. And then the cattle. We've done one sheep, one base from just based with the ringside buyers. And then last year, the COVID sheep thing, and that was just tremendous for selling yeah, all over it. the country. Let's just go on to your sheep uh, again. You took a, a change of turn. In fact, uh, you sold all your commercial ewe flock as well, didn't you? Opting instead to start supplying female replacement hogs to the commercial man. Uh, you just had a good commercial flock of sheep producing the good fat lamb and the odd ewe lamb. But I couldn't get help, and I had too many cattle, and my family and big. So I had to, I sold the sheep before I sold the cows to try and drop one off, and then I had to drop both off. But uh, then I bought sheep back in again to try and drop the cattle numbers. But instead of that happening, my cow numbers have risen, and my sheep numbers have risen, and I'm standing here today with more sheep than I ever had, and more cattle than I've had this last 10 years too. So I don't know, I don't know how that happened. It was my fault, and. That's just where I'm at today. Sure, and, and as I said, you're running the, the Chiviet Cross Mule, putting them back to a yes. Suffolk, and uh, an yeah. uh, emphasis on uniformity, I think, and you're up to 700 ewes now, is that uh, round about right, James? I'm about 550 ewes, 550 commercial ewes, all Chiviet mules, all going to Suffolk tops, sharp, bare, tight skins, just trying to get the sharp, baby look at the ewe lamb as we can, you know, just mm-hmm. the carts, the carts, they are in a good shape naturally but it's, uh, it's the heads and the character and the ears and that good bright eye that we're really going for <laughs> of course a familiar desire from the commercial side to the pedigree breeder uh, looking for sharp heads on a good carcass uh that's what breeding stock is all about really isn't it 
And uh, to start with, you'd pitch these gimmahogs into the mart, wouldn't you, in batches? And uh, But the last time uh, we met, I think, was at the Gulf Open uh, a couple of years back, and you were just organising your first on-farm sale of females, which I believe went very well. Uh, must have been a lot of work, though. We always would have run them hogs over dry, but I sold 200 balmina and maybe 100 and swatra, and then a few less ones at home, you know, because you're, you're, you're spreading your workload over four or five days. But then whenever it's time to do it at home, you had, well, the first sale was 700 sheep. So we had 700 sheep to get right on their feet, right in their legs, and looking well, and dressed and tripped all in one day. Mm. And then getting them panned. See, getting them panned. And again, we're in Ireland. So if you put any more than 12 in the pen, you choke the buyers. You know, there's a lot of buyers up in small numbers. Mm. So of, of seven, that first year, with 700 sheep and uh, from 6 to 12, you know, all panned and big ones and wee ones and sharp ones and dark-headed ones and light-headed ones and trying to get them all penned per- to perfection. Mm-hmm. And then last year, of course, we grew a slightly more, so we had a thousand sheep last year in total between hogs and ewes and gummers and shearlings and tops and everything. You built a full sale yard pretty much on the farm, haven't you? Yeah, well, she had burnt down. Uh, oh. A big straw she had burnt down. So then we had to build a shed beside that shed, waiting for that shed to be repaired. And I was built bigger than I wanted to be built at the time by my father. And then we used it for lambing the sheep in. And then I made up this sort of ring and this just sort of metal bars and made a ring. And then put the seats around and the bales around that. And then penned the sheep behind that again. So it kind of turned into a seal ring. And then whenever the idea of the cattle seal, we got the chance to buy the seal ring out of New York. That was an online seal. So I heard about it on the Wednesday. The guy told me, and then it was on the Thursday morning. I got a bought on the Thursday morning at a home on the Saturday and set up for the Tuesday for the sale on the following Saturday. And that was all over New Year and COVID as well. You so must have a lot, of, a lot of people and a lot of friends uh, just would have um, been uh, a lot of favours maybe to, to get all that operation going, a lot of staff. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of phone calls here, that state of water, your state of water, there's a lot of favours to ask for, a lot of people on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve trying to help me get it all ready. Mm-hmm. A, the cattle and the ring. The ring was the main thing because the cattle, when we're nearly ready for the ring, we're just going to use bales now, got a chance of this ring and trying to get it set up. And different people took the ring down and put the ring back up again and trying to put a, a thousand piece puzzle with, <laughs> with no pictures. So that was that was a nightmare. <laughs> but we got there in the end and it worked out absolutely wonderful. Like that. The sure. feeling sat on that Podium watching the cattle be sold and the ring set up was just, uh, was just an amazing thing. Amazing. We'll move on to the online sales in a minute, but uh, meanwhile, you were looking to source some Suffolk rams to breed those hog replacements. And uh, again, when we last met, you were thinking of buying a, a few pedigree Suffolk ewes to breed your own rams, and, and that you did, and have already been extremely successful in that venture. Uh, where did you source the Suffolk ewes from, uh, James? I bought a good few of them from uh, Rocket. Ronson. Yes, Ronson, and that's Ronson. the one. Alan Shaw's. <laughs> and uh, I bought a few sheep I used off him. Because every year in Kelso, he the type of sheep was after, and they were good and black. And I met Yager Smithfield. He was judging the sheep. And I've seen him on TV a few times, and I've seen him from the show rings a few times, but never got to meet him. I never got a chance. And then I was sitting down before the judge, and the night before it, and there he, he was sitting beside me in front of the fire. I thought, oh my goodness, it's going to be a long night. And it was a very long night, <laughs> or, a very, or a very short night, I should say. 
don't know. I think a lot of them are, and I got a chance. I remember I bought a few of them. That kind of got me started. Okay, and and then I built up a few numbers from since then on. You sold a Suffolk Top uh, at six thousand last year uh, out of a Strasbourgie. You uh, where did uh, where did you get her from? That was the Highland actually, and it was uh, later than it should have been because it was home later than it should have been. And I met Jack Smith, and Jack Smith says there's a great Yulam over here. And I went over, and she was in the ring, and she was being judged, and she was down oh, maybe ten or eleven. And she moved up and up and up and up, but she was really bare and really black and. She has everything that the Suffolk men complained that she shouldn't be. You know, she was too strippy and like for a yule lamb to be stripping in June was just, oh, nearly, my head was nearly away. And I think she ended up either third or fourth in the class of yule lambs. And I can remember I went and sat in the pen with her, sitting just admiring her pen. I sat in the edge of the gate and some of the Suffolk guys walked past me and kind of smirked at me. And somebody says to me, James, nobody looking at her. You couldn't afford her. <laughs> So it kind of made me feel smaller than I should have let it. <laughs> that would be big words to a man like you, to be fair. <laughs> and I just thought, right, that's okay. And I, I didn't even ask James Ennis was going to sell it. I just kind of went home and left it alone and just never thought much more about it. And I was sitting in Port Rush about a month later, having a pint, and it would be five or six o'clock in the evening. The sun was shining. I was in the second or third pint of beer waiting for my friend to come and join me. And I come into my head and lifted the phone and I rang him. And I says, how much will that shoot be? And he says, X amount of pounds. So after 10 days of negotiations, I give him exactly what he asked me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a lot of money at the time for a sheep, for somebody that had sold no sheep. Mm. But her first two tops got five, six, one, and 1,800 pounds. Mm. And I kept the ewe lamb on the flusher this year. Mm. And she gave me five ram lamps last year to have a share of this year. So she paid herself off in the, for the first lamp. Say, another five years she'll have paid for herself. Uh... <laughs> I hope before the end she's gone a bit the month they're a good top lamb this year too so that was a big investment at me for the time but no, I'm just delighted that I stuck in and bought her a lot of people say on this uh, on this podcast when you see the right one you just know that they never do uh, as well as building up the numbers the Suffolk through uh, flushing you'll have done I'm sure and, and uh, you bought an entire Suffolk flock last year how did that come about how many POUs you got now well, we've over 100 pure yews at the minute. We've more yews than I have common sense, to be totally honest. We kind of. <laughs> You're some man. <laughs> kind of took on maybe more than I could chew with the help that I currently have. But uh, no, we bought a top over a few years ago off Landale, Hazel Martindale. And uh, I wasn't there. My colleague seen the top and he bought a top on my behalf. And they'd come home and he's just exactly what he's after long, clean, bare, black, salty skin. Just a lovely sheep. And uh, I got to know Hazel then, and over a few times, and I just heard the quality and the blackness and the tight skins of her, she blew me away. And I said, tell her, if you're ever selling any use, let me know. But in the meantime, she didn't understand it, and I tried to do a deal, and she didn't do a deal, and I just bought away at use to build up the numbers. And then the night before my sale last July, she rang me and said she was ready to sell them. But I already had the 50 use gathered up at this stage, and then... She gave me the chance to buy hers, and I didn't want to miss the chance, and I bought the yews, and uh, so that's her mat today. But it just it just gives me a really good base of yews to move forward with. Really <laughs> black, really uh, carcassy. They're tremendous sheep. She's a brilliant sheep. You bought pretty much the entire flock. Yeah, well, there we go. That'll be some more <laughs> Suffolk year replacements. It'll be your your next thing. And move on. Uh, you still get involved in the in the tractor business yourself, uh, there, James. 
Yeah, kind of. Where I'm in the office most days, all day, every day, but it's mainly the pickups and four by fours that I concentrate on. My father yeah. works with the tractors happily, and I work with the pickups. Mm. Another niche market. Another niche market, yeah. yeah. And, and and a market you 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 shifting those from in and out of the country and uh, to farmers. Yeah, it's, it's a similar customer base you see, where we're trying to do the same advertisements and the same publications, and it's hitting the same market and the same farmers. There's still there's an element of the lifestyle buyer too with the city guys and the guys with boats and horse boxes buying the buying the four by fours as well. But the the main market would be the four the farmers. <laughs> okay, and uh, I guess the on farm sales that you've been having would bring a few buyers in for those as well. It's it's. Uh, it, People coming in for all sorts of. You got a lot of things for them to get in the sweetie shop when they get there. Yeah, between the open days and then the on-farm sales, that brings another audience to your door that wouldn't be wouldn't maybe be there if they weren't there for a reason, you know. And obviously the COVID has uh, hit, and that will have slowed down a lot of the uh, people coming onto the farm and made things difficult. But hopefully things are getting back together now. But let's go back to the online sales, and there were a yep. few video sales in the. 2001 during a foot and mouth i was involved in a few of those and those restrictions but uh, the, the online sales is virtually a new concept for all of us and yeah for you it started with the gimmer sale last year which went pretty well your sheep made a hell of a trade online and how does that work i mean people come and visit the sheep and on the farm set times beforehand i guess they, they did but the sheep doesn't work you know because the sheep you know at last year a thousand sheep sold and they're all run about Eight or ten fields with between between thirty and one hundred per field, so it's very hard for the farmer to see particular pens of sheep, you know. So it's just more the quality of the camera and the ring gives the sheep, farmer a good idea. Hey, you try and have the quality where the farmer can buy and know he's not going to go too far wrong, and then B, he can see the sheep well enough in the ring with the cameras to really see that you buying the size or the power or the color. You can see the color and. The tight skins, like, like the whole uh, the whole run of gimmers I had a tight skin, so the skins are never going to be a problem as long yeah. as the colours were suitable for the buyer. It's a science, isn't it? Really, and uh, as you say, if the video quality is good enough to show up the quality of the stock, that's a, a massive conditional factor. Uh, James, if I asked you to put the cost of shipping stock to market, or even selling from home versus the ease of online uh, selling, where where would you stand on that? For, for me. And having the numbers, it just gives me the chance. Like I couldn't draw a thousand sheep to market in one day. I just, I couldn't be done. You know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't keep the audience to keep your to pick your, your sheep. You know, once the all despite the quality, people come one year and the sheep are wrong. They just go to the market the following year and buy them the market. You know, I need to try and keep. I need to have the quality to give them the confidence to buy off me, whether it's online or whether it's under ring. You need the quality there to keep the keep the customer there. I need them to come and buy them one year and be happy. And have a bit of milk and plenty of lambs, and then go back the following year to get his replacements again. Sure. You, 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 you can't. There's just pressure on you to keep the quality coming without letting it slip. Sure. Repeat uh, customers are the best customers, aren't they? You always. I, I think the first year, with no online, people came seen the sheep, and then last year with the online thing, and the fact that the COVID, I gave them an excuse not to come, and then people just bought online. They bought before. They knew that they were buying. And I pen them more or less the exact same way. I pen them the, the powerful sheep first, and then after about 10 pens, the sweetest, they're the nice British sheep. So I, the people around me, I kind of told them what I was doing, and then, you know, 
they, they, were, they were never going to go that far wrong. Like most of the, other than maybe the last few pens, the quality didn't really drop and not they were put to buy any of them, they were put to buy right. Sure, an element of trust as well with these guys and maybe they're sitting there, farmers are busy people, maybe they, they don't need to take a whole day out to go and buy those when they can sit and buy them online and, and it shortens everybody's buying time and everybody's selling time. There's, uh, I'm not saying it's always going to happen but it is certainly a change in the industry that gives us all a little bit more time and and you use a, a firm called Mart I, is that right? Where are they based, uh, James? Oh, they're, they're, they're based in the South and just a really lively full of energy group of young guys to just uh, never first met them they were doing the stuff for Richard Beatty and then they come up here to set up the commerce for the sheep seal and they just said they were a really nice bit of energy about them they're not fear of trying it you know and if you've an idea to listen to it and if you ask them to put the camera there or give them a new idea they'll take it on board it's a really good group of lads mm-hmm. uh, I love their energy yeah obviously that, that's a business that's, that's again it's was probably happening before the, the COVID, but it's something that uh, the, the entrepreneurs have, have boosted on. It's a ill wind that blows nobody any good, that's for sure. And uh, your your most recent sale was a big one, wasn't it? The Select 2 that you call it, in 200 <laughs> heifers topping at 7,500 for a three-quarter blue um, heifer. And uh, you posted videos of every one and offered transport. And uh, the, the, you even offered finance, James. It was some... Some operation. Yeah, I really wanted to push the boat out. The, uh, the first sale on the 2nd of January, I was kind of forced into it with the times. The breeding thing had moved forward. And I've been selling heifers at home the last five or ten years. And the people came every year. And the heifers were sort of sixteen fifty for a good average heifer, eighteen for a better heifer, two grand for a show heifer, and 1500 for the odd plainer heifer. But the thing had moved on. The prices had moved on. The prices had risen in the markets but then my customers at home still weren't willing to give much more money than they were given and they were getting frustrated at me for asking more money than i was asking despite telling them that things were dear now so then i thought i'm going to pull out 50 exceptionally good heifers that i happen to have at the time real proper heifers and i just photographed them all with alfie shaw put them online in the catalogue put them through the ring but then in the background i had a win of heifers that were ready to sell if the trade was good and the trade was good, and the buyers were online, and the buyers were in the in the hall. So just around, I sold the 55 or 50 sort of select heifers that I'd picked, and then I sold another 50 or 60 heifers after that that were just good straight, good heifers, but not accessible heifers, just good sucker heifers. Sure. And then because of that confidence to sell 100 heifers in the 2nd of January, I thought, I'm going to push the boat out this time and try harder. Because it's at the edge of grass, Sun shining, grass is meant to be grown. Okay, it wasn't grown, but at the time I booked it, I booked the date the grass should have been grown. And I thought, I'm going to go all out here. And I set myself that target. And my wife says, Right, what is the goal? I said, I want to sell 200 heifers one day from me one yard. So I had 220 or 30 heifers ready. The, realistically, I wanted to sell 136 select heifers. That's what I photographed individually and videoed individually with 136 heifers. And then whatever I sold after that was a bonus. But Secretly, I wanted to sell 200 heifers. Mm-hmm. So we just kept, we sold 136, they sold well. Not as well as the first sale, but a lot more realistic trade. They were from 1850 to 7,500. 7,500 heifer was a fantastic heifer. She was, yeah. Two, two or three cows offer. People don't understand that why she's making the money or the commercial man, but two or three cows offer could pay for. One calf could only really pay for, but 
the man that bought her the first man, he'll make the job of her. She's full of breeding, she'll do well. But I was, I was, I was, other than that, one or two top places, I was a very realistic trade. And then after that, I just kept running through the other heifers and I paid the buyers. And then the buyer started to slow down. And I said to the auctioneer, well, pull the plugs, is that enough? He says, I need another 10 heifers. But I didn't know why I needed another 10 heifers, but it turned out he was keeping the count off them. And he didn't tell me this, but he he was five or six heifers away from from my goal. So we just kept running the heifers through until we sold 200. And, well, actually, I think I sold 204 or five lots altogether. So that was a big day. It was a gamble. I just worked no more. We were running a buyers. Buyers were starting to drop off, but then the quality was dropping too. You see, the quality was going down the whole time. So, an absolutely outstanding achievement, and uh, for you to achieve your goal uh, on that day, you sound like a man that's uh, that's always going to achieve your goals, James. But um, more to the point, you've set, uh, I think, a precedent, and there's been a few people and a few I'll talk to over the next few weeks about. Uh, having the confidence of these online sales or people on the online sales having the confidence to buy from yourselves because you've had that uh, historic um, honesty with, with the, the sales in the past. Do you think this concept is here to stay? I mean, what are the drawbacks of us all buying stock online instead of turned up in a month? I think as long as the person's honest and as long as you're buying what you're seeing, I think there's few drawbacks. Mm. I think if you're, if you're sitting at home buying ordinary cattle in ordinary market with just whatever lands in you've always a chance of buying something wrong but like whenever that's the whole idea of me photographing them all and they're not standing well there's two heifers haltered but generally they're not haltered they're just photographed just in the field there's four or five shots of every heifer so you're, you're drawing a picture of the heifer you're fit to give everybody more or less an angle from all around the picture or all around the heifer so I know I, I can't see as long as I'm honest and as long as I have good enough cattle for it I had the sex of the calf, at the date she was due, at the bull she was in calf to, and I had her weight. So you're you're getting the full entire picture of the heifer. Like you weren't you weren't buying the heifer that somebody lay on the ground taking a photograph and the heifer looked big and then you got home at just seven hundred kilos. It said seven hundred kilos on the catalogue. You knew her exact size. So like I think for likes of my cattle moving forward, I don't think the drawbacks are that big. You have all the information you need. But I think there always is that risk for somebody buying online of getting a wrong one, you know. But We've all bought a pig in a poke on eBay before, but uh, James, an absolute credit to you for giving a lot of forethought and planning into this before you went ahead. And and as a man of vision, yeah, as a great marketeer, you command the admiration of a lot of folks within the industry, particularly as a, a trendsetter for others to follow. Appreciate them kind words. That's, that's nice to hear because mm-hmm. you hear more bits than you hear kind words. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it. I I, uh, I wish I didn't set up such a such target sometimes because it really kills me and all all the people around me. But do you really enjoy it? I, I really I never muddle up it. And if a good team around me, you're plenty of good help, and you have people sort of get caught up in the in the whirlwind with you. It's just great moving forward with it. <laughs> then uh, I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask a few people that. Uh... We're talking to in this series is where do we go next? Uh, the moon? <laughs> no, no. Today the bad day asked me because I'm, I'm barely over the exhaustion <laughs> of the last three. We've seen Laman Suffolk use and then Laman Ember use and then Laman commercial use and still a few Suffolk use Laman. And ready for that seal. I my energy levels are right down in the ground. So today's not a good day to ask me, but I think. My sheep, I'm going to have two sheep seals this year. I'm going to have a sheep seal on the 31st of July. 
for my use and then a sale on the twentieth of August for my tops because there's too many doing one day of seventy tops alone. Mm-hmm. So as long as I can just keep up the numbers and keep up the quality, I'm just gonna keep on trying to do what I'm doing as well as I'm doing it. I don't know where you get the energy from and the last time I saw you was in uh, Port Rush at the uh, Golf Open yes. and uh, I still owe you a beer there James. Uh, I really appreciate your time for talking to me and uh, JLX the brand uh, is superb and uh, that's, I hope that's interesting to a lot of our listeners. Uh, cheers James. Okay, good luck man. Okay, cheers man. Thank you for listening to our Top Lines and Tales podcast. You may like to take a look at our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page as well, where you'll find some photographs to back up this episode, as well as many more photos and discussions on similar topics.